They might be walking round the coast or swimming laps or making toast. They might be piling sandbags on the levee. From Pernalulu, the Southern Highlands, or cruising the Coronation Islands, they're all up listening to Macca. Hey, good morning, Macca. This is uh, Usha and Mario from Los Angeles, originally from Melbourne. So we are so proud to be uh, able to talk to you this morning because we listen to you all the time in Melbourne and we've uh, been listening to you here in Los Angeles as well. And this opportunity to talk to you and thank you for bringing all the people together all over the world, you know, Melburnians and Australians all over the world. And we hear everybody's stories and it's wonderful that there is a person like you who can bring everything together. Well, it's a network really, uh... Usha, isn't it? It's lovely to be able to be in contact with everybody. Tell me, what are you doing in Los Angeles? Actually, our daughter was having a baby and so Mario and I came over to, you know, give them a hand and we've been here for four months and we miss home too. We love our grandson, but we miss home. Yeah, good morning, Maka. It's Chris speaking. I live just near Innisfail and I've just ridden from Flying Fish Point on my push bike. I've come across the South Johnson and the North Johnson. You probably need to know that the North Johnson, where the water intake for the town of Innisfail, population about 10,000, mm. well, the North Johnson is so low that the intake valves are almost clear of the water. So the local council think, OK, what do we do? We have to put in a, a weir on the North Johnson River. That's what they're talking about. We're on, you know, sort of highest level water restrictions. It's pretty unusual for Innisfail. So I'm, I'm a uh, bicycle rider and I I just happen to be out on the hills and, and it's going to be a hot day, Mac. It's going to be a really hot day. Here. Chris, Bill's got to be proud of you. Thanks for your call, mate. Nice to talk. As one wag said, who shot the Elmino brothers? On Kilto Station, Roebuck Plains, through drought, bushfire, flooding rains, we celebrate Australia on a Sunday morning. My weekly fix, Macca, on a Sunday morning. Good morning. Welcome to the program. 1300 700 222. That's our number. Lots of things to get through this morning. We've got Christmas cards and thanks for your cards. This is from Steve. Steve says, you just mentioned manners and the lack of them these days. We just uh, had our dream trip to Calgary Stampede and the drive a bit around Canada, Wyoming, Montana and South Dakota. Anyway, I observed how polite everyone was over there and how clean the place was and no foul language. Used to be like that here. Can be again. That's what Steve says. Bruce says, Bruce Thompson, just thought I'd let you know that Bunyan Mountains in Queensland have been proposed by astronomer James Barclay from Kingaroy Observatory to be accredited with the International Dark Skies Organisation. There's only one other dark sky park in Australia, which is Warrumbungle National Park in western New South Wales, with artificial light from streetlights, buildings, footy fields and houses and (laughs) high-rise... Australia's dark skies are becoming fewer in number and all the Aussie nocturnal fauna that rely on darkness are at threat of losing the darkness they rely on for survival. Fauna such as powerful owls, antichinus, melomies, bandicoots, mountain possums, tawny frogmouths and our beloved fire beetles in the bunyas would all benefit from minor modifications to street lighting in particular to help them go about their business gathering edible rainforest foods, eat them up, poo them out and ensure the conservation of rainforest ecology. Can you please let the people of Australia know? Well, we have, Bruce. Your email ran out there, but we've been on about this for 20 years. The light, the problem with the cost of electricity and all the buildings are still just a light like, you know, it's just like Christmas every day. It's ridiculous. And street lights, they should have LED lights so that if there's movement in the street, the light comes on. But if not, eh, forget it. I mean, there's so much, it's just pollution, pollution. But anyway, Philip Desborough says, uh, he's the numismatic bloke. He says, uh, Ian and Lee have listed the prices realised for the following of the auctions held recently at the State Library. 
The Magic Pudding Publishers Layout of the Book, first edition, eight and a half grand, and the first edition only $2,400. Sir Peter Abel's Order of Australia Medal got $5,400. Really? A 1915 9th Light Horse Bugle got $360. A 1913 issued 10 shilling banknote, $7,700. A 1928 issued 10 shilling note with envelope inscribed, To Mum with Love and Best Wishes for Christmas and the New Year from Renee. Christmas 1932, $1,700. A buyer's commission of approximately 20% needs to be added to these prices. Thanks for your assistance in airing this information. Well, it's just, it's all grist for the mill, Phil. Thank you very much. Hello, Macca, says Coy Blumson. We live at Mapleton and have a friendly rat trap. It's constructed so that the rat goes into it for the food and then can't get out. Then you can deal with the rat however you wish. Neither of us, or is that neither of us, can kill them. So Jeff takes the rat for a drive. <laughs> uh, where would you like to go, uh, Mr. Rat? Did you ever do the wind in the willows? Wasn't that good? Uh, Jeff takes the rat for a drive and releases him into the forest. Which national park would you like to go, Rattus Rattus? Um, sometimes I wonder if he actually comes back. The rat, that is, not Jeff. That's the other half, I'd say. Cheers, says Coy. <laughs> I love it. This is from Daryl. Sent me a lovely Christmas card, and thank you for the Christmas cards. And a little piece of wattle she's sealed inside. Hello, Ian. Just a note. First, happy Christmas. Our two farming boys are struggling to get off their harvests. First son at Rankin Springs... New South Wales, going over 12,000 acres to try and get seed back and a little to sell. Second son at Kyolite, also chasing 12,000 acres, but pleasantly surprised maybe about five bags to the acre. Still not enough to cover costs. Now they have to prepare all that land and hard work and money to do it all again and hope 2019 will be a much, much better year for them than this one. It's hard yakamaka for them. I'll say, Daryl, thank you. And thank you for your lovely, lovely card. And quickly, more on rats. Discovered this when soaking lupins for horses, says Bernadine. Put a two-litre ice cream container of whole lupins in a 20-litre bucket. Fill with water halfway. The rats go in and get the lupins, but they can't get out and they drown. It's humane and eco-friendly. They drown. I'm not sure that's humane, but, you know, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs, can you, Bernadine? Thank you. 1300 700 222. I'd love to talk to you wherever you are. Hey, Macker, it's uh, Rick McIntosh. I'm just like a uh, caller from about 10 minutes ago. I'm, uh, I'm from Bendigo as well, but I'm on my way to Warnable uh, to call the Jericho Cup. I know uh, you're, you're right into the Australian war history and all that, and uh, I... I hadn't heard it on the show, but we just wanted to make you and your listeners aware that it was uh, it was on today. Rick, I know your voice. I've heard your voice calling the races. How are you? Very good, Macca. That's the way. So the Jericho Cup, yeah, I know about the Jericho Cup. We've had a few uh, emails and bits and pieces about that. That's on today, is it? It's on today. Wow. Yeah, going, uh, well, they've, they've, they haven't gone the traditional three mile. It's almost 4,600. And uh, they've got a stack on down there to uh, to celebrate the uh, the Light Horsemen and and those battles and of a hundred years ago. And this is to sort of recreate the times when I suppose the Light Horsemen were hanging around, waiting to go into battle, and they they had a horse race or two. Is that right? That's right. I mean, um, uh, Henry Chevel, I think, or Harry Chevel, I think it was, who mm. came up with the idea that if they had this. Uh, Jericho Cup meeting, which I think it was five races, and and uh, which culminated in the running of the Jericho Cup, that the uh, 
uh, the Turks, so to speak, would take their eye off the ball and then they'd be uh, attacking them a few hours after this race meeting and uh, and, and get the element of surprise. And uh, uh, it certainly worked because the race day was great for the antics and their morale, but uh, they, they they won a huge battle just uh, not long after. And who's the bloke that's in behind the holding of the Jericho Cup? What's his name? Bill Gibbons. He's, he, it was amazing. I... Uh, and Bill, Still haven't, and Bill the Bastard run, won the race, didn't he? Bill the Bastard won the race. It was funny. It was almost... Language, two, language, please, Rick. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, two years ago, the book turned up, uh, sent to me by Bill Gibbons, mm. uh, with a short note saying, you better read this because um, there's going to be a Jericho Cup in 2018. And he, he worked with Racing Victoria and the Powers of B. And it's going to happen today. Rick, I was most disturbed to see um, the plight of Ty England the other day. Um, he's he's not in a good shape, is he? No, no, he's uh, he's he's got a battle on his hands for sure. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, or ironically, I'm actually uh, taking a tour to Hong Kong, which leaves tomorrow morning for the Hong Kong International uh, Carnival over there. Mm. So it's a it's it's a while it's probably a good time to be going there, that to, in in respect to the international uh, carnival, I'm sure everybody's thoughts are still with with Ty and the battles he's he's facing. Yeah, I should tell people that he was uh, he was in a race in Hong Kong the other day, and as the horses left the barrier, his horse stumbled and and Ty went off. And uh, yeah, anyway, we just hope and uh, pray that um, he'll be okay in the time to come. That's all we can do, Macca. Mm. Big day today at Warrnambool, mate. It is, it is. If you're anywhere within, listening, anywhere within the district at all, you want to get down and uh, celebrate the light horseman at Warrnambool today. And I hope you call Bill the Bastard as winning, Rick, please. <laughs> I'll give the name a mention sometime. Well, just say the Bastard's won. Just say the Bastard's won or something like that. <laughs> I get away with a bit, but yeah, Not I'll that. have to be a little careful. <laughs> Good on you, Rick. Good luck today. Good calling. Good on you, Macca. See you, mate. Mark's in Gladstone. Morning, Mark. G'day, Mark. How you going, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, first time caller, Mark. Good on you. Tell me. Uh, yeah, mate, I'm in Gladstone. You can just see the sun coming up now through the smoke. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, Mount Larkham's about 30 k's out of uh, Gladstone. That's where I live. And uh, we had the fires there coming through on Wednesday, and uh, the whole town was evacu- evacuated on Wednesday afternoon. And this is, well, this is about the first time that's happened there, eh? Yeah, well, I've lived there for 18 years, and we've had two, this is the second fire that's came the same way, but this is the, uh, that other one was nowhere near as fierce as this one. Yeah, and the weather's been uh, shocking. It's going to be a shocker today, I think, Mark. Yeah, on again, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm working today, but, yeah, matter of just uh, the firefighters up there, they were magnificent. Everything should have gone, really, but... Um, how they saved it is beyond me. I don't know. Well, that, I, I think we're getting used to fighting fires in Australia. We certainly, the last uh, 10 or 15 years, we've had some rippers. And, um, yeah, I suppose they they just get better. As, as long as it's not one of those firestorms where you've got those 100 k's an hour winds and 45-degree temperatures there, you can't fight those. Well, but well, when that fire came through on Wednesday, Mac, you, you didn't even know which way that wind was going. I, I stood up on top of a hill and uh, watch that fire come because we just didn't know 
which way it was really going to come like an hour before it did. And you just did not know which way that fire was going to go. That I don't know whether the fire affected the wind or what. I don't know, but uh, it was it was it was it was that wild. It was blowing you around. And then um, I was doing last out because I honestly didn't think the fire was coming. And then about 300 metres from our house, there's a hill. And I just seen the flames start to lick at the bottom of that hill, and mate, I was gone. I, I, I thought when I come home that there'd be nothing left, and that's true. I really thought this one was all gone. And it's and it's it's like any natural um, catastrophe, you know, uh, storms. But uh, very sc- fires like that, very scary. There, that's why I suppose they call them wildfires because you don't know what they're going to do, do you, Mark? Um, I, well, as I say, I've been through a few and. You didn't know what this one was going to do, but man, we we were so lucky. The people down there near uh, Bundaberg and and up there in Mackay that are copping it now. I, I, my heart goes out to them. We're lucky. We we got let back in on Friday, and the house stinks of smoke. It's going to be for a few days. There's a lot of smoke around, but man, we're lucky. I I, uh, I really feel for those people at the minute. Mark, you said you're working today. What do you do? Hey, I gotta laugh, I drive a fuel truck, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> so mate, I, I go three hours. I go three hours out to a mine, three hours each way. And uh yesterday I went out, smoked all the way and all the way back and it looks like it's gonna be again today. Yeah, it's a stinker. Good on you, Mark. Great to talk to you, mate. I see you you live in Gladstone? No, Mark? I live in Mount Larkham, yeah. Mount, Mount Larkham, yeah. Just down the yeah. road. Oh yeah, Macca, thank you, mate. Good on you, mate. Bye. Bye. Shane's in Cressy. That's in Tassie. Morning, Shane. G'day, Macca. How are you going, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Nice bit of rain in Tassie, mate. A real, uh, a real late rain. I've just come from the Fingal Valley. I've, I've never seen it so good so late ever, mate. This is a real cracker down here. Yeah, well, you've been dry in parts of Tassie too, haven't you? Yeah, mate. Cranbrook, uh, East Coast sort of, yeah, they're doing it pretty hard, mate. They're looking for drought relief. Yeah, exactly. Now, what are you up to? Why are you up this morning? Oh, uh, always. I, I went down and, and showed me doing a little flock of sheep yesterday on X Greasy, <laughs> and um, I'm just dead and home. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> You'll have a sore back then today, Shane, I reckon. Oh, no, no, going all right, mate. I, I was up to my mate's 50th in your row, and every time I get near him, mate, he throws me on the tube. I wasn't doing it too good up there, I can tell you, but <laughs> we, we got him done. And even, um, it's only 150 k's north of Melbourne, and they've been doing it pretty hard too, but I, I think they got an inch of rain last week, so... Yeah, there's scattered rain around, which is nice. It's uh, it's amazing how um, thankful we should be for, for a fall of rain, Shane. And last time I thought an old mate I used to shear for at Carabar, he got 20 mils here a couple of months ago, so that makes 40 for the year. They're doing it pretty hard. Shane, where's home for you? Liffey Falls, mate. Where's that? Liffey Falls, under the Great Western Tears. Uh-huh. Just, just uh, yeah, northern Midlands. Um, there's that much grass up there at the moment. You get out of giraffe up there, mate. It's unreal. <laughs> Shane, I'll have to come and see you. So, what's what, what's the nearest? What's your town called? Uh, the closest one's Blackmore, a little little country village here, yeah, and then you got it's all, it's all little little towns scattered about Blackmore, Cressy, Perth, Longford, sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And get over, get over the Blue Hill, and you're at Deloraine. Mm. All right, Shane. Nice to mate, talk. No, no worries, mate. Nice to talk to you, Shane. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. Good on you. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. This is Dave. G'day, Dave. How you doing? Good. 
Good. I'm at uh, Killerlee State Park. Where's, um, where's that for everybody else? Yeah, south coast of New South Wales near Shell Harbour. Uh-huh. With a group of uh, Year 9 Scots College boys. We're on a six-day journey from Kangaroo Valley back to their school in Sydney. Uh-huh. Yes, a journey, what, like walking, riding? What? Yeah, a bit of, bit of biking and a bit of hiking, Macca, a few canoe crossings in there as well. Uh-huh, and this is the end of the, so this is an end of year uh, thing. Dave, tell me the, the rationale behind this. Yeah, so it's a Scott College program. The boys go down to a place called Glengarry in Kangaroo Valley. Mm. Uh, they spend six months down there. They do outdoor program and their academic work as well. And at the end of the six-month trip, we do a big journey home, a culminating journey. Uh, We frame it as a bit of a rite of passage for the boys. So there's 100 Year 9 boys, and we take six days. It's about 200 kilometres, yeah, biking and uh, hiking all the way back to Sydney. Well, and Dave, you're a teacher? Yeah, I'm an outdoor ed teacher at the school. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, they uh, enjoy this, or would they rather be on on holidays? When When do they break up? Uh, they've got another week or so of school left, these guys, uh, so they're certainly looking forward to it. It's a trip back to home for them after six months, so every uh, step, every pedal gets them closer to home, which they look forward to. Yeah, so Dave, what do you think about it? Did you do this at school? What did you do at school? No, I didn't do it, that's for sure. Uh, I always enjoyed I was more a uh, camping with the mates kind of thing, yeah. uh, so it's great to have an organised trip with the school. I got into outdoor education, that's more of my passion. Uh, so I'm really enjoying the, the job here and working with these boys on the trip. Should happen to everybody. I, I'm, I, I mean, I suppose a, a lot of kids do that, a lot of schools do it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a great experience for them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we t- they don't have any coverage down there at Macca for the six months they're there, so we encourage uh, letter writing. Uh, it's a real kind of switch off from the traps of modern-day society for them to uh, get back to their roots. They really enjoy with their mates in the dorms. And they have a great time. Letter writing. Gee, and they should be, those letters should be marked, Dave. <laughs> it's like, like composition, you know. I mean, I suppose at the start, some, some kids aren't used to writing a letter, and then by the end of it, maybe they're a bit better. Do you, do you give them a mark? No, no, I think their parents do, though. We often get parents ringing up if they haven't got their letter, wondering where it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great experience for them, great experience in year nine. So and then, then they're into the last two years of school, which are fairly important, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It's a real kind of uh, bookmark event for them. They can we t- yeah, frame it as a rite of passage. So it's a real chance for them. We talk about the difference between behaviour of a boy and behaviour of a man, and we really uh, want these guys to step up. Yeah, well, we were talking, was, I went to a school the other day and, and their uh, motto, school motto was manners maketh man, which is um, which I think, think is great. But um, as one of my correspondents this morning said, they went to America and they found that people were much more polite, not a lot of swearing and stuff. Um, um, and they regretted that uh, in Australia that doesn't seem to be the case. So um, I, I'm not sure what your experience is, but um, I, I think what you're doing is, uh, it can only be good. Yeah, absolutely, Macca. We kind of take the boys away from their natural environment, give them a whole lot of challenges. They have to work together. They have to live in a dorm, so they have to learn tolerance, how to get on with each other. And certainly good manners plays a big role in that. But the boys really evolved during their six months down there, away from their family. And then hopefully, yeah, they go back stronger, more resilient, open-minded characters. It sounds, uh, yeah, win-win, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. 
Maker. It's Beth Shannon and Mackay here. G'day, Beth. Um, we're just trying to get everybody in the nation to pray for a drought-breaking rain today. As you know, yeah, Mackay's had the fires and that, and uh, it's devastating because it was dry enough before, but now everybody's lost their feed. Like a fellow was saying, they've lost their water pipes. Yeah, the poly pipes are gone, so they, they can't get water and feed. So any donations as well would be greatly appreciated. But we've been planning a national day of prayer for rain for a you know, a few weeks now and today's the day so whether you believe or don't believe if you could give it a shot we need it so badly so yeah just just say please god give us rain good on you beth is it smoky around your place it is it's been smoky for yeah a week or so sort of thing there's a lot of people suffering with yeah asthma and that type of thing so but the community has been amazing. Yeah, the amount, like they're, they're actually saying, please, no more donations because they can't handle it. But mm. we still need the donations of hay and stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, you fellas know too what it's like trying to source hay now. Exactly. It sounds like a job for Blaze Aid too, you know, in the in the days and weeks and months to come. That's it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and the, yeah, there's a lot of, like... Um, community places that are that are raising funds and this sort of thing and, and it's more the sourcing of the hay too you know so i mean 25 dollars a bale for loose and <laughs> isn't going to go too far sort of thing you know so um but anyway we, we do what we can and prayer to me is the main thing so that's all i want please if you could just you know if your listeners could just say a prayer for us we'd really appreciate it well there's a few and of the whole of australia yeah, yeah, that's yeah it. there's a few of us right around australia so oh, we'll do it, that mate. and it's been years you know so <laughs> i've been been around australia recently with the commonwealth games baton and it's just heartbreaking you know so but anyway, it'll come, so no worries. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a pleasure, Beth. Uh, yeah, we'll all have a pray for you, for, sh- for sure, you. for rain, for, for everybody, including you in Queensland there. Yeah, that's it. Thank you, good yeah, on- everybody. No worries. You have a good one, mate. Yeah, good on you. Okay, see you. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm talking to Major General Paul Irving. Paul, tell me when you joined the Army and why. I was conscripted in about 1969. I had it deferred while I completed university and then I went in in 1972. I went to a recruit training battalion at Singleton before I was selected to go to the officer training unit at uh, Guyville, uh, OTU. From there I joined the Signal Corps and I did my full-time service and then I transferred to 8 Signal Regiment, which was a CMF Signal Regiment. I commanded a squadron in the the regiment. I re-raised the regiment in 1987 and I ended up with Commander 8 Brigade in Sydney. I was the Assistant Commander Training Command, and then I commanded the 2nd Division between uh, 2003 and 2005. When you said you were conscripted, you were, National your, Service. Your, your marble was drawn? Yeah, or? my marble was drawn. It was a really important occasion in those days. They used to draw the marble, and they had some VIP would draw out the, the, the birth date and uh, those, all those people with that birth date, they were in. So I'm always interested in that because my marble wasn't drawn whenever it was. and I know Tim Fisher's was. Yes. Uh, Tim, uh, Tim was a, a Skyville graduate, uh, mm. went to OTU as well, as was uh, uh, Jeff Kennett from uh, Victoria. And I'm always interested in the difference it made in people's lives, whether their marble was drawn or that it wasn't. I don't think I would have liked to have gone into the Army, but I, some people embraced it. Obviously you did and Tim did and it made a great difference to your life. Well, uh, I think a lot of people found uh, it gave them a, a sense of purpose, sense of discipline. We were taught a lot. We learned a lot about each other. 
and we learn a lot about ourselves, and I think that was important, particularly when you're under a lot of pressure. And so I always found that the experiences and the things I learned in the Army have always been very useful in, in my civilian career and also in my family life. But you've got to embrace it, haven't you? You've got to say, well, look, this is an opportunity. I'll, I'll grab it with both hands. Yes, you've got two options. You embrace it and go along with it, or you oppose it and it, and it becomes very difficult for you. Mm. So most of the Nashos that I saw uh, certainly look back on their time with a great deal of uh, reward, a, a time where they learn a lot and a time that they don't really regret the experiences. I know that a lot of the national servicemen went to uh, Vietnam and the experiences in Vietnam have not been good to them. But nevertheless, the Army did teach us a lot and we owe them a lot. When I was at school, primary school, our teachers, young blokes, they were probably 19 or 20, they'd just finished uh, six months when everybody, I think, had to do compulsory um, national service, which That's I'm not sure is a good or a bad thing. I think it's quite a, well, the, a good the, idea, actually. That was the first post-World War II national service scheme. I mean, we've had national service in this country since 1911, but the first one post-World War II, everybody aged 19 went in for three or four months full-time service and then a couple of years of part-time service. Uh, and the great strength of that scheme was that everybody did it. The worst aspect of the second scheme, which was brought into, into place when government decided to double the number of infantry battalions because of the problems in Malaysia with Indonesia, was by ballot, by birthday ballot. So it was a selective thing. And so we didn't have that universality that the, uh, the first National Service scheme had. I wonder if they could bring back some sort of a National Service where everyone did four months of their country doing whatever. Well, does people still propose that? It doesn't have to be military service. Mm. It could be peacekeeping service. It could be outgoing, having disadvantaged communities. It certainly would be a good thing for students post-school when they finish Year 12 to go out there and putting something back into the community. Mm, I think a lot of people agree. Paul, nice to talk to you, nice to meet you. All right, thank you. Thanks very much. G'day, Macker. It's Lee Kelly calling from Armadale. No, no, she's in the, she's in the control room. It can't no, be. No, she's not. <laughs> There's two of us. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, yeah, sorry, Lee, go on. Um, I'm just ringing to echo your uh, words about uh, young people in service. Uh, my son is in the reserves. Uh, he's 20 years old and he's... Um, off over in Malaysia training for three months and um, just what a difference two years in the reserves has made to him is incredible. Well, I, well, I guess it has and it, you, heard the, you might have heard those kids from Scott's College but, um, but and I, I just think it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do and I just think it's necessary. When you look around the world now, I think some sort of service is just should be compulsory in a, in a nice sort of a way. You don't have to have guns and stuff or whatever but... I think yeah, he, look, he on. can look. He, he can look people in the eye. He can hold a conversation on, on anything, and uh, you know he stands straight, tall, and proud. And um, it's it's incredible what you know what it's done for him. Lee, where is he? He's over in Malaysia at the moment, uh-huh. training. Uh huh. And what He'll is he be back in in March? Right. He says he's just a grunt. So. <laughs> yes. But uh... yeah, so it's it's just a fantastic opportunity and. He wants to join the police, and, and I'm sure it's a great grounding for him to later on join the police. I'll say, so he's, who's, who's he, he's with the Army now, is he? Yeah, he's with the Reserves at the moment, mm-hmm. and his goal is later to join the police, and um, I'm sure this is, you know, it's a great grounding in discipline and um, all sorts of things. It's taught him discipline, um, cooperation, uh, teamwork, the whole lot, so... 
It's, uh, it's, it's excellent. Yeah, I, just, I was just thinking, um, last night I went, uh, I was in Parramatta in Sydney and I was parked in the parking station and as we went out, um, we had to pay, you know, and you put your money in and you get a ticket and then you put it in. Well, and the car in front of me went through and then he took the ticket and he just threw it out the window and I just thought, what sort of, you know, I know there's people like that. And I just, I thought, what sort of a deal is that bloke? It was a bloke um, and he was with his girlfriend and I don't know how old he was, but I just sort of, I thought, what sort of a, what sort of an upbringing is this person had? And I thought, well, you know, and I wonder what sort of contribu- contribution he makes to the community because I, the, the older you get, the more you, you think and you look around and you see um, the parlous state of some things and you think, well, everybody should be, um, not made doing to, something. but yeah, be doing something. Yeah, I don't, I yeah. don't care what it doesn't have to be monumental, but it just has to be. Look, everybody realizes that they've got a role to play, and they're not just here and they, you know, sit and watch TV and eat, and you know, there's something, there's something bigger. Because I think everybody, as the bloke said last week, or the lady said, everything, everybody has a yearning to be part. It was a lady actually yearning to be part of something bigger than themselves and that's a perfect way to do that and and your boy and people I know who were in national service the the general I spoke to before he said it's a great grounding and and you make friends for life and all those sort of things and I think I just think it's a no-brainer I don't know how you get it implemented Lee but and we're such a land of opportunity my other son who's 23 is over in Perth at the moment uh he's driven from the east coast to the west coast to do the grain harvest and there is so much work over there Macca and um, you know people people don't aren't looking for it he's gone over there to, for eight weeks work and he's um, being looked after well on a farm um, learning to drive you know he's driven a header and a chaser bin and um it's been a great experience. I'll um, say they've got a big harvest over there as the bloke said, the, the and, best yeah. probably one of the best ever. And, you know, I mean, there's, they're crying out for workers. He's, you know, he's getting offers for harvest after the ones that he's doing. But, you know, lots of people don't want to do it. And he said, not only is he making money, the, it, it's a great experience, you know, and he's learnt so much. And the drive over, he said, was fantastic. Oh, yeah, t- too much, too much. And you see <laughs> everybody's up all night uh, harvesting, fantastic stuff. So, yeah, so, so there's opportunities, but... Better. Lots of young people don't want to grasp them. Um, well, they just should be made to in a, in a nice yeah. way. In a nice way, Lee. So, yeah. Where, where are you, Lee? I'm in Armadale in northern New South Wales. And how's things around that that area? Ah, uh, it's that, it, yeah, we had some good rain the other the other week, so it's it's looking good in town. Good on you, Lee. Nice to talk to you. Okay, thank you. Good Bye. on you. Bye. G'day, this is Macca. Yeah. Good morning, Macca. It's Ross here from Bustleton, Western Australia. G'day, Ross. How are you, right? Yeah, good, mate. Um, good morning to all your viewers around Australia. I'm here with my two boys. We're uh, currently heading down to Margaret River for a morning of uh, beautiful surf in what? our uh, wow. magnificent southwest. Wow. What a lovely thing to do. Uh, Rossi, you, you do this often, do you? Yeah, we every weekend uh, got to take the boys surfing. And um, How old are the boys? Uh, 12 and 10. Uh-huh. There yep, you go. So they're um, getting right into it and... Uh, we just enjoy the ocean and, you know, we enjoy our area here in WA and we, we just love the Indian Ocean. Oh, it's a beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful spot, beautiful spot down there. And, well, all along that coast there is lovely. Sure is. So, um, 
Yeah, we won't hold you long, and we know you got plenty of callers. But um, yeah, we love your show, and we listen to you every uh, every Sunday morning. So good luck, and uh, good luck to all your uh, listeners out there. Rossi, how far out do you go? Because I know there's bombies, you know, that are off two hundred right. meters off the off the coast in some places. And I thought, God, that's a long way to go out, isn't it? But how far yeah. off, how off do you, how far do you go out? Uh, we're not too far. Um, sometimes we well, not with the kids, but um, I've been out. Uh, through Main Break, Margaret River, which is pretty well known. That might be ooh, maybe a couple of hundred metres offshore for sure, 300 metres. And then um, then you get some pretty crazy people that enjoy going a few miles off the coast and hitting those uh, bomboras that you're talking about and, and get the the real large waves. So, yeah, we're, um, we're more... We love our little beach breaks and uh, getting amongst the, the barrels of the beach breaks and we'll, uh, when the kids get a little bit bigger and we'll start pushing them into a few waves on a few of the, the local reef breaks. Do you, see any, you don't see any scary sights out there, do you, Ross, or do you? Uh, we've, we've, we see everything macker. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there, are, there are sharks there, but you can't, let, you can't let it get in the way of what you love. So uh, we, just, we just keep surfing. Yeah, all right. Well, good on you and good luck, Ross. Nice to talk to you. I'll see you in the West next year for sure. Where do you, where do you live, Ross? Uh, we're in Bustleton, Western Australia, uh-huh. and uh, we, we just get on the Bustle Highway and we, uh, we uh, get straight down to Margaret River. It takes us about 30 minutes, and, uh, and we're right in amongst some of the best waves in the world, so we're, we're laughing. <laughs> good on you, Ross. Great to talk. Good on you, Maka. See Thanks. you, mate. Bye. Oh, good day, Macca. It's John. I'm in Sydney. Good day, Johnny. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Listen, first of all, thanks very much for your show. It's uh, I just love listening to it on Sunday. This is a, a call about uh, the Burnborough little piece that you did before. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I was born in Warren in 1952, and uh, my mother took us over in a car uh, to Tamworth, and Dad came across. Uh, he was an accountant with uh, Wright Eaton's. He came across to Tamworth just to go to a school, you know, the better schools and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I was lucky enough to go on, and I did medicine. And uh, I remember, as a young doctor, probably 30 years ago, I ate a couple of racehorses in Gosford, and uh, we, we got a win at Warwick Farm one day and <clears throat> knocked Robert Sangster back into second place. But <laughs> the, the point of the story is um, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Burnborough's jockey, uh, Athel George Mully. Oh, right, yeah. And I, I remember clearly my, my grandfather was my grandfather was a council worker uh, in Warren, drove a grader. And uh, I remember him speaking to me about about horses and other things, um, which I still love. And he said to me, he said, uh, you know, Mully Paul Burnborough. And that was the controversy. A lot of people thought that Athel George, 15 straight, and he's hooked him in the in the cup, you know, when the money was on and all that sort of stuff. So here I am sitting down with Athel George Mully, wonderful (laughs) man. I mean, you know, men were different, you know, back in those days. He was a true gentleman, spoke quietly, dressed differently, and, and he had some dignity about him that you don't often see, except in men of that generation. Mm. And unfortunately, we've lost that. But anyway, I couldn't help myself. I said, sir, I said, would you mind if I asked you a question? He said, sure, doc. And I said, mate, my granddad said to me that, you know, Burnborough was hooked at the, in, the, in the cup. He said, did you, you know, I said to him, did, you know, did you do it or, or not? He said, and he looked at me and he smiled. He said, everybody asked me that. He said, no, I didn't. He said, you know, he said he ran truly on his merits and never forgotten it. And, uh, you know, just as a little add-on to what you were saying before, it must have been a wonderful, you know, wonderful era. Horses were different. Men were different. Life was different. And, uh, you know, and I, I think we're the poorer for not having it now. Yeah, and the and the thing about going to the races, I didn't go to the races a lot. I did when I was at uni. 
<laughs> that's, when went, that's when I started going to the races because the kids said, oh, come on, because we were just across the road. I was at University of New South Wales, so you just run across the road and, and, and go to the races. So that's why I didn't do as well as I could have done, John. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, they, I, was, I was teaching, they, I was teaching school at, in, at the Bridge and Land Convent. Uh, you know, I had to get enough marks to get into medicine, long story, but so I went back school teaching for a couple of years and did the HSC again, and uh, I remember once I, uh, I took a day off. I, I needed a day off, so I took a day off, and I went down to Randwick, and, uh, and I remember back in George Moore, he won on this horse called Mona's Joy, 66 to 1. I think I had about $2 on it, and Moore wow. took at the top of the rise, and made just, you know, memories that, you know, you you know, you, but see, you, that's what hooks you on racing. You have oh, that, yeah. you have that rush, and you can never leave. That's the whole thing about gambling, isn't it? It's, and you want that run, rush again. So that's where you keep looking for. But what I was going to say, when you went to the races, they had because you're saying it's a different time and men were different. There was always protests. You know, if if George Mully had they thought him or George Moore had, or whatever or anyone had or Roy Higgins or whatever, there was a protest. Everybody, oh boo, and they you know they don't do that anymore, do they? They don't have no protests anymore. I'm still, of course, doctor in Gosford, Wyong, and Newcastle. I, I still have a you know a, a good involvement, and, and I love it. I don't bet. I I know all the jockeys, but I don't bet. I, I just love going to the races. I love the colour and the you know yeah. everything. But it has changed. You're right. You're 100 percent right. There's no there's no protests and. Uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the fun's gone out of it, but but it's still great, and uh, the horses are still magnificent, and, uh, and 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 again, what what a country we live in. This is you know, this is like seriously, words fail you sometimes when you when you talk about good things about Australia. But anyway, look, mate, I just thought I'd um, <laughs> good on you, you, know, you know, just just comment on the Burnborough stuff, but uh, different era. Unfortunately, it's gone and colourful you know. colourful racing identities. I think they call them, John. Oh, 100%. 100%. What a story, eh? <laughs> Good on you, John. Nice to talk to you. Take care. Thanks, Macca. All the best. Bye. G'day, Bye. this is Macca. G'day, Macca. It's Danny from Hillside, a suburb in Melbourne. I'm a, I'm a Dalesford boy, a country boy, but I've had to move down to Melbourne for work, and um, I'm a bit out of my natural habitat, and uh, every opportunity I try to try to do something that reminds me of home and on the Sunday morning, like uh, the plethora of cyclists that get out and about on their mountain bikes and road bikes, I get down through a Brimbank Park and it's uh, it takes me out of the city and I can hardly see a house and occasional wallaby and things like that. But I was riding down through the park in my Lycra, my bike shoes, things <laughs> like that, the clipping ones, all fancied up. Yeah. And uh, I come across this bloke on the hillside and I... I could have sworn he was rabbiting so i went over there and sure enough he's netting some burrows this is in the middle of melbourne in a park and i went over to him and i said mate can i join you <laughs> and here i am my bike shoes my lycra my fancy bike over on the hill and we netted the, these uh, burrows for a couple of hours we got about five bunnies out and he was taking them home for his greyhounds and um i said how often do you get to do this i wouldn't mind coming down and join you he said well i've got to do it on the slide because if he gets caught, um, they're worried his ferrets are going to get out and go feral. And every other every other week of the year, they're trying to poison these rabbits to get them out the road. And here's this one bloke trying to do the right thing and get some bunnies for his dogs, and he's not allowed to. Oh, dear, oh, dear. You hear it all here, Danny. Um, you must have looked the sight, too, with your, your, your bicycle gear on. I do, but I'm normally confident. It doesn't worry me. I can't believe how much I'm shaking. I'm, I'm shaking like a bowl of jelly on an old washing machine, mate. <laughs> Uh, Danny, nice, nice to talk to you this morning, mate. Good on you. All the best, Mac. I Thank, love your show. Thanks, mate. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. 
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.